Guess what? You can watch the best of HBO's shows and more on the all-new Astro. Better than before, no rain interruptions, no repeats. Just stream anytime and on demand via the Astro Ultrabox. It starts from only RM5990 a month, and you can find out more information on astro.com.my. You're listening to the Goggler Podcast. Bahe and Uma with you, and today we will be reviewing a brand new local movie that's actually a reboot of an old local movie. This one's called Rasia. It is, of course, a remake of the 1987 film of the same name by Osman Hafsham. And this version is directed by his son, Shamil Osman. I saw the original many years ago and I can't remember much about it, but I do remember enough to know that the new film is somewhat different. Oh, okay. And that's what I enjoyed about it, in the sense that they didn't try and make some sort of 30-year-old sequel. You know how they sometimes tend to do that, right? Yeah. They'll bring bring back old actors. They'll have some cameos. All of it will just be a little overwrought and unnecessary because, you know, it's not like, the same fan base from a 1987 movie is watching that movie in 2023. This isn't the Scream franchise. And there was a certain amount of awareness on the part of the filmmakers going into this, which I really appreciate because what they did was take the ideas from the first film and just tell a new version of that story. Yeah. So in the original, it yet again features a family that moves into a house by the sea There is a death in the family and they start experiencing some strangeness. Okay. The 2023 Rasia begins with newsreel footage of the suicide of a businessman. And then we get a brief cameo from the always great Susan Lancaster. And it's a little bit like a screamish prologue. Something happens. There's an evil in this house. We then kind of flash forward and we meet our new young family who are going to be the victims of this haunting. Yeah. We don't want to give away too much of the plot because it has some interesting twists and turns. So even if you've seen the original, this one still holds up and has its fair share of surprises. I think it's safe to say that whenever we go into a movie like this, Bahir and I are quite apprehensive. Eh. That said, there were a couple of things that put me at ease immediately. When I saw the Kuman logo at the beginning, I was like, oh, that's good. That's a good sign. When I saw that the runtime was less than 90 minutes, I was like, oh, that's That's also good. Very good. I say that because, first of all, Kuman's got a great track record of knowing how to take mass movies and elevating it just slightly just a little bit to keep everyone excited and interested and given something new. The easy comparison is Kuman is Malaysia's Blumhouse. That was Amir's... That is the model, yeah. Yes. Aside from the business model, I think for me, the reason I compare the two is because as a non-horror guy, I enjoy Jason Blum's films. They tend to be more than just, you know, spooky ghosts behind the door, you know. And I appreciate there's a level of interest in story which you tend to not see a lot in 
sort of bigger Hollywood horror productions, I think. The second thing about the runtime, I think is very important because I think some of the best horror movies out there tend to keep a tight runtime. Basically, they waste no time in getting to the point. The first thing that blew me away from Russia was how it moved. Shamil came into this with an awareness that everyone watching this movie understands how horror films work and yeah. he doesn't need to waste any time. He was like, you're here for the horror. Let's get right into it. All of the character motivations and character setups were so economical mm. and well-written and well-shot, so much so that everything was show and not tell for those first 20 minutes. Yeah. By the time shit started hitting the fan, you were already invested in a lot of these characters. And I think that's particularly impressive. Like, it took me longer to get invested in the grandfather character because I think he was sidelined for a bit. But with the family, I was all in. And I appreciate that focus on the family because you're right. The grandfather was sidelined for reasons, but I felt like I appreciated the focus being immediately directly at the family. We don't we don't spend unnecessary time with the grandfather. We don't I mean Shamil did flashbacks. He said genuinely I'm not a fan of, but he needed to do those flashbacks for this because it explains the the backstory, right? Either that or you have someone sitting in a corner and just laying out all this story in a stupid info dump kind of thing, which this is better than that. Usually some old guy in the kampong lah who they tell yeah, to. Yeah, he's like, I, I like, remember well, the did time. Did you know yeah. about this story which your mother never told you? Yeah, it's just this really long, unnecessary info dump, which I appreciate Shamil didn't do. I think the way he approached it is different enough, but necessary for the story he wanted to tell. There was a lot of clever decisions made in this film. The set pieces, which we'll talk about, were absolutely fantastic. The runtime was a very good decision. Mm. The way they shot the movie to give it this almost 1980s look. I love that. Can I yeah. just say? I this love that. TV3, Charikarama, sometimes soft focus, weird glow around the lens look. Piano music everywhere. No, yeah. It is completely homaging mid to late 80s sort of horror drama kind of feel, right? But also, it's so rare that we see a Malaysian movie with a distinct sense of style. Yeah. Which is very nice. It's like there is a conscious decision, a conscious production and design decision taken here, and it was executed very well. Like, I really enjoyed that. Can I just say something? I, I think you will appreciate this. The cinematographer was Take Z. The same guy that did Hungry Ghost Diner. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> Well, there you go. Like, I've worked with Tech Z a couple of times. You know what I love about Tech Z? And I think this is what a lot of directors I know love about Tech Z. He will execute your director's vision. In the sense right. that if you have a vision, he won't push back on you. He will know what you want. And he will go, okay, cool. I know what I can do to you. I love that about Tech Z. I mean, he's also shot some you know, mediocre films. But... But that's not his fault, right? I put that down on the director not having a vision. If a director just wants your DOP to have your camera in focus and have your actors in frame, sure, Take Z can do that. But if you want to play, Take Z can play. That is incredibly apparent in the way this movie is shot. Because 
there is a very clear idea as to what Shamil is trying to do, as to the homage he's paying to his father's movie, and all of it works because this movie doesn't try to be something that it's not. It leans into those 1987, those pre-1990 jump scare horror films. It leans into all of those tropes, the way the camera captures certain things, the way those set pieces are framed, the staging of it, it feels like a throwback and it really works in this. I know we've kind of moved on from the Texie thing, but there are a couple of really well-designed scenes in this film. There's a long one in this. Where Nabila Huda's running up the stairs. Well, she's running through the house because she was praying in the living room. Then she has to go, she goes to the kitchen, then she goes upstairs. And a wanna is hard enough to do, but to do it in what essentially is pure darkness because the lights have gone out was also very great. There is a sequence later on where, again, the power has gone out and Nabila Huda's character is just running around the house with a torchlight app on her phone on. And I thought that was one of the most beautiful sequences I've seen in a very long time in a Malaysian film because... They didn't do that lame thing of sticking a big light outside the house, putting blue filter on it and calling it midnight. It was actually dark. And this is both hand-in-hand performance and camera work. You know, Nabila Huda was able to was able to sort of show enough of her face in the light of her phone and the scene and the background of what she's looking at without ever losing focus. And if you've ever tried to focus a camera in darkness... I think this was, ah, I mean, that was, I was really super impressed with that. And you know what? Nabila Huda was great. Nabila Huda was great. She does distraught, almost on the verge of insane mother really well. And it isn't overplayed. I think that's what I loved so much. It's, it's, it's dramatic without tripping into melodramatic. And I think she treads that fine line and she does it really, really well. But also I think a lot of that comes down to Shamil's editing and storytelling as well right because she's going through a manic situation she hasn't slept she isn't sleeping she's she's stressed about family member issues and i think all of that they're believable moments they're not just oh i stopped my toe so i'm going manic there are all these real situations and she and abila huda isn't playing manic early on we were talking about how Kuman takes movies with mass appeal and then elevates it slightly. And I think that's a really important point. It's something we always talk about with regards to standing on the shoulders and building on everything that's come before. And Russia is a mass appeal movie. It has all of the hallmarks that will appeal to the mass Malay crowd. If you list down all of the tropes in this film, it will seem immediately familiar. Mm. You've got the distraught mother. You've got the, you know, manic woman who no one seems to believe. You've got children who are being haunted. You've got just the right amount of Quranic verses. You've got a scary demon. You've got all of this stuff that every other Malay horror movie will utilize, right? And yet, there is a certain attention to detail. There are enough cinematic flourishes. And I think that's how you break away from what Malaysian studios tend to do, which is just repeat the same thing over and over again because that's what 
one audience likes. So they assume every audience is going to like it and they will milk it until it breaks. I think Rasia is a very good example of taking something that works, of taking something that audiences like, of taking a formula that is tried and tested and then putting just enough of a spin on it to make it new and fresh and interesting and fun. Yeah. Like that is what I want to see from studios. This is what I want to see them invest their money in and I think this is how they can push the envelope also in getting audiences excited about new things. Mm. Yes, yeah. there is so much low hanging fruit out there and you can go for it, but at the same time just because Police Evo 3 made 50 million dollars just don't keep making the same thing over and over again lah. I think it takes a lot longer for it to happen in Hollywood, but the cycle happens in Hollywood all the time and studios keep getting burned. And so you would think someone would learn from those lessons lah. The Hollywood thing I think I I don't even know if it takes that big a cycle because they tend to also Yeah, they tend to oversaturate lah. You're right. Yeah, you know. So and I think the difference is for them their genres they tend to treat their genres bigger so they're not going to make the identical horror movie but everybody's going to make a horror they play in a bigger toy box when it comes to genre yes yeah yeah and i think i i can at least appreciate that but what i feel works in the system for something like rasia is this idea that you can tell very good stories while it being genre based without it requiring a massive budget and i think the reason budget's important is because the bigger the budget the less you can reach for the corners the less you can reach for the more interesting stories the more you have to make it palatable to a wider crowd and this goes back to the blumhouse approach right yeah that necessity is the mother of all invention and a small budget will force a movie like this to think practically about how they're going to do those scares and haunt things and they end up being incredibly effective now we haven't seen sumpahanjarunai but everyone we've spoken to seems to have real problems with the cgi and i think the cgi was so bad that it pulled them out of the film right i do want to check it out and see how bad it actually is because i have very low expectations and low standards with cgi and malaysian movies yeah but what was great about rasia was that Yeah, all of the effects were practical. They looked good. They looked scary when a demon comes out of a fucking cabinet. You are like, "Oh, like when a face suddenly appears out of the dark, you're like, that's good makeup. That's yeah, wow." Where they used it was also very important, right? Because I cannot afford to financially and also just based on time do too much or spend a lot of time on this monster. I think they used it very well. It's the it's the jaws approach. Because the machine broke on set, they had to be very careful about how they used it. I only have one minor, well actually not minor, like I think it's a major nitpick about this movie and that's mm. the sound design. And I don't know if it is actually the fault of the sound designer or if it was a TGV thing where we were watching it because I know cinemas sometimes have problems with the mixes. Everything played a little too loud. I spoke to someone who was at the gala premiere and they said that they had a problem with the audio as well. So it could be that was the mix. Well, if that's the case, then I think that is my biggest problem with this movie. It's a very old school approach in that I remember watching horror movies as a kid in Malaysian cinemas, like Malay horror movies and 
there was a tendency to make everything loud like really fucking loud and i don't know if that's what shamil was going for with regards to an homage but with the subtleties and nuances that he's included in his movie this pulled me out of the film as in it was so loud at times mm. that it undercut the actual scares because it got in the way and i think if it wasn't as loud i would have been more afraid yeah you're right it feels like a very old school way of scaring you with loud noises as opposed to scaring you with a ghost appearing something behind something right but it's not just loud noises it was this weird increase in volume in the sound yeah. mix between regular conversation and a moment that they felt was going to be scary that's yes. the only way i can explain it so it felt very disjointed disjointed is one but it felt unnecessary i think for the movie that they had for the story that they had trying to amp up scares by turning up the volume was unnecessary but that's the only mark that i have against this movie i thought the performances were good the production was good the writing was good and you know what i had a lot of fun watching it i know we were leaning towards each other and making funny comments because i love doing that in horror movies and i think the best horror movies always inspire me to do that mm. because because it's such a ridiculous genre and i think if i'm not engaged with the movie then i'm just kind of sitting there with my hands crossed being bored and rasia just it was such a good time at the cinema i had so much fun to make an excuse for ourselves it's it's a sign that we're involved in the story because yes we're making fun of it but we're involved in it we're paying attention at every beat we may make a a slight comment about something but we saw the thing it's the thing's important right but i also feel like that's the intention of the director right i think mm. he wants to evoke that kind of reaction from you especially when he's making a movie like this which is so trope heavy Like yeah. there's another fantastic set piece with a bomo lady of sorts which is really cool yep. like Navila Huda's character is like oh find me an ustad and the kampung people are like well actually we got a this lady yeah. she seems to know how to sort things out and things go sideways really fucking crazy. I have a comment about that I have a comment about that at one point she takes a kris and attacks a goat no attack attack attacks the wrong word she no la sembelih the goat la is part you, of the process you're, right you're right but here's the thing a kris is a stabbing tool a kris is a slashing tool you don't slice tool. yeah yeah okay only comment mine i mean sure it won't look as was great was it a kris was it an actual yeah, yeah, she pulled out a kris dude okay okay, yeah. okay okay for me is that minor detail small nitpick little annoyance but yeah but otherwise Otherwise, yeah. So much fun. Enjoyable film. Yeah. It is a rare a truly rare week when you have two great Malaysian movies in local cinemas. Right? It almost never happens. Finding one is hard enough. This week we got two. And we think you should go check it out. Hungry Ghost Diner and Rasia, both movies that are well worth your time. Both movies that are under two hours, so you can actually do a double feature if you so please. A double Malaysian ghost feature, a 
Hey, I like it. I like, I like it. A lot. Go check out Rasia. Go check out Hungry Ghost Diner. Both of them are in Malaysian cinemas right now. Let us know what you think if you've seen both of those movies. Goggler MY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline 012-524-5208. Don't forget, if you drop us a message on any one of those platforms, we'll send you a link to our Discord server where you can chat with us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.